But right now I am joined by regular Tereo Māori contributor to the Radio 1 Breakfast Show, <laughs> Francis Bradley, and Professor Janie Haywood, uh, who is the Head of Politics here at Otago University. Good morning to you both. Morena. Kia ora. Morena, indeed. What a beautiful uh, morena we're having right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've got a few good days coming up too. It's amazing. Uh, but to, uh, we, we had to talk to about uh, tomorrow's the anniversary of, uh, of a little-known document, I mm. think, um, the Declaration of Independence of New Zealand, which was signed in 1935 and ratified in 1936. Uh, first, start with you, Francis. Um, who drew up the Declaration, and, and what does it say? Oh, far. Oh my gosh, you dropped me in there. <laughs> oh, can we go to our political uh, commentator, please? All right, let's get to Jenny. Oh, Francis, I was hoping you'd answer that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, well, yeah, so it was, it was um, it, the idea for it sort of started in the early 1830s. Māori mm-hmm. and New Zealand were starting to um, be concerned about some of the uh, infringements on their land. And in some areas, there were a lot of fairly kind of lawless settlers and traders, not so much settlers, actually traders, mm-hmm. who were coming and going. Um, and uh, they started to th- feel that somebody needed to take some responsibility. Māori started to feel, especially in the north, yeah. that somebody mm-hmm. had to take responsibility for these British, mo- mainly, but others as well. And looking around at who was there, they figured that the British king was as good a kind of ally as any. Yeah. So there was... Um, um, petition made in 1831 to the king to, to ask for some kind of um, help in controlling the situation and that's kind of what kicked it off really uh, yeah. a chap called James Busby if you've seen pictures of him he's um, he's an extraordinary looking man and he was an <laughs> extraordinary figure in our history he arrived in 1833 and he really made it his one of the things that he was responsible for for getting Māori together in the north in particular mm-hmm. and getting them to assert their sovereignty in New Zealand yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was the hellhole of the South Pacific. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, lawless, um, you know, th- things are out of control. There was also, I think, fears that the French and the, the United yep. States were going <clears> to <throat> maybe come in and, and, and try to claim uh, their stake in uh, Aotearoa. Um, yeah, so, so what really came of that? Um, they, what did the document exactly, what did it say? And uh, what legal effect did it have? So it said that um, Māori were sovereign in yeah. New Zealand, basically, and this was Busby's. Busby um, encouraged Māori to to say that, mm-hmm. and it said that um, that they would, you know, continue to exercise the kind of authority that they'd had and enjoy that authority. The other bit that Busby snuck in there because um, there's a bit of a debate about what he actually wanted to wanted the document to achieve. So he also included the provision that Māori would congress together once a year, mm-hmm. so, which they hadn't been doing necessarily, or they certainly hadn't been required to do. So the declaration also said that Māori would get together once a year as a bigger group. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, some of the historians say that really what Busby wanted to do with that was get Māori to have a pan-tribal organisation that would be easier for the British to communicate with. You okay. know, it's kind of a more of a direct British to somebody it was quite complicated politics for the British to try and work out who was in charge of what, and it would make it easier if Māori had come together in some way. Mm-hmm. So that was a part of it as well. Now, um, 
Francis, uh, I've got a question for you now. I hope you can answer oh, it for yeah, me. Yeah, I hope I can answer it too. <laughs> uh, um, this is, a, like I said at the beginning, it's a little-known document, especially down here. But what about in Titai Tokoro? What about in Northland? Uh, because obviously it was uh, the document was formed there, it was signed there, the original uh, chiefs that signed it, were ma- the majority of them are from that area. Um, so, so what does that document, does it still hold uh, any significance in, uh, up, uh, in the northern parts of, of the country? And with that, um, I know a big part of the document, and, and before that was the king's uh, acceptance of the United Tribes flag. Mm. So, and I know that flies. We, we've talked about that in the past. You see it everywhere you go in Northland, uh, but you've—I've never seen it here at all. <laughs> I've got one hanging up in my room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I think especially in Te Tai Tokoro holds a massive significance, um, especially today. Uh, in terms of schools, I think it's really dependent on who teaches what and what actually gets taught because, you know, some schools might not teach that much about um, he whakaputanga, uh, while other schools might. Um, I know my school taught about about that, if you actually did Māori, and that's, you know, also that's just an option, so a lot of people would miss out on that. Um, but a very strong significance, even to the extent where some people would go, like, hold on to he whakaputanga as opposed to the treaty. Mm-hmm. And feeling that that is the the founding document of our nation, and that because of course at guaranteeing as as you said you know um, Maori is sovereign of Aotearoa, which is what Te Treaty guarantees, but not the treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a very strong affinity to that document even today, and that's why you'll see flags everywhere. Yeah. Um, of the first flag and also that flag was significant because it did allow a lot of trading which was a massive thing at that time and so it was not just a recognition of um, the mana that Māori had uh, but also our ability to negotiate with other nations So, I think it's really important for our understanding of Te Tiriti too to have a better understanding of He Whakaputanga because mm. the, um, the treaty really only makes sense in terms of understanding what Māori were agreeing to, yeah. understood they were agreeing mm-hmm. to, yeah. when you know the terms of he whakaputanga, because as you said, it was right up until 1839, chiefs were still signing up to he whakaputanga and acknowledge, you know, asserting their sovereignty. So within a really short space of time, between 1839 into 1840, when things started to change quite quickly, Māori is still actively asserting that sovereignty. They yeah. see that again being articulated in Te Tiriti and you know can see that, see that as a continuation of the sovereignty that they knew that Britain had recognised earlier so of course that seemed like you know the, the circumstances for them would remain much the same yeah but they would continue to exercise that authority and did a lot of tribes like Napui did they still think when they signed the Treaty of Waitangi that they weren't giving up their sovereignty I mean it's, it totally yeah. seemed that way in the Maori version of, of the treaty and uh, they say that this document still holds up um, a, a, as well yeah well again at the, in, oh, in 2014 the Waitangi Tribunal finally found as a finding something that we always knew that Māori never ceded our mm. sovereignty and Ngāpuhi have never believed that we've ceded our sovereignty we've always held on to our sovereignty and the signing of the treaty as opposed to the treaty guaranteed that continuation of what was guaranteed in He Whakaputanga um, and the United Nations actually acknowledges that the indigenous treaties should be taken for um, <coughs> what's the word? Prominence, or mm-hmm. should actually hold legal um, yep. authority rather than, you know, an English version which very few signed. You know, 
the Māori version was signed over 500 times. So, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so what? Uh, what did the Treaty of Waitangi do to this document? Did it? Did it? Did it? In in the eyes of uh, Pakeha and, and the Crown, make it null and void? Um, I, I don't think there's an easy way to answer that because I think history. Uh, you know, most of New Zealand doesn't remember Hifakaputanga. So what mm. the treaty really did in terms of how we see things now is overshadow that yeah. 1835 yeah. agreement. But I think when you look at it from the perspective of Māori Rangatira who had lived through Hifakaputanga and then through Te Tiriti, it was, as I said before, a continued assertion yeah. of their rights. Um, and I think that's really significant. As Francis said, the, what the Waitangi Tribunal said, and it has... The report, um, the first of that Northland report, really has some of the best and most beautiful oral evidence that we have about what actually happened in those years. Um, and I think all New Zealanders ought to read it. It's a really extraordinary piece of our history, which mm. which makes sense, you know. And as, mm-hmm. as Francis said, it, it was a shock to a lot of New Zealand. The government shut the conversation down fairly quickly. But for those who had been familiar with um, the, the history of that period and had worked in that industry, nobody was surprised to hear the tribunal make that ruling, yeah. or that re- you know that finding in the report. Okay, so I mean, w- with Napui's claim, uh, can they use this document as as, as uh, a document that is represented under law? It's not a legal document, um, and neither is the treaty. So, so no. Yeah. But I don't think that diminishes its significance mm. in any way, really. I mean, it still has enormous significance, and um, and the and governments right through the years ought to have been accountable to it. Yeah, yeah. Is was there any difference in like there is with the Treaty of Waitangi, the wording within the Maori text and the English text? In Hefakaputanga, yeah, um, yes, there is not in in different ways and ways that are less significant than Te Tiriti, But I guess the point is that because Hefakaputanga was an assertion of Maori sovereignty, it didn't really say very much about what the British didn't ha- say anything about British authority. Yeah, it was the British um, supporting an assertion of Maori sovereignty. Yeah. So the point about Te Tiriti is that those differences in Te Tiriti and the treaty are really constitutionally significant because they present two quite different visions of what New Zealand would be like. I mean, essentially, uh, we were going to be, uh, wanted to make us sort of protectant of the Crown. Like, they were there to protect yeah, that New was, Zealand. Yeah, and that was what Māori had sought. They had sought the King's protection. Yeah. Not over themselves, necessarily, mm-hmm. but over the people who were beginning to impact on their capacity mm-hmm. to exercise their own sovereignty. So, I mean, you could look at it in the same way as um, maybe what's going on between Aotearoa and the Cook Islands now, or, or Niue, that similar kind of deal, I yeah. guess. It, yeah, in terms of who, you know, what what that kind of... Um, protection is for it, it. It's to enable your authority not mm. to diminish or limit it. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the plan for tomorrow? What is going to go on with the celebrations of, of this document? Um, well, I was just checking on uh, Facebook, and I see there's um, <laughs> already things happening at the Team Marae, uh, some some kōrero. Uh I'm actually not sure. I'm, I hope there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of talk about the significance because. I guess with the closing of Te Paparahi o Teraki, which is the um, the report of Ngapuhi, this thing where the finding of 2014 came out, uh, this is just coming to the closing of the second reading, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of discussion, especially since, um, what was it, did you see what the Crown was saying? About no. the setting of, I think they, after all of this talk, after all of this, you know, this oral history that was given, 
they maintained that in 1840, I think in May or sometime later, that sovereignty had been ceded. Yeah. And I thought, man, how um, how disingenuous they. <laughs> like, how can you actually say? That? Uh, so, in terms of your question, I'm not sure exactly what's happening with the commemorations. Yeah. Um, but I know there's going to be a lot of corridor, especially up north. But I'm sure. Well, how, okay, so you just said that the Crown said that, that the Māori ceded sovereignty. Where are they getting that information from? What, what, what are they using to say that that happened? Um, the English version of yeah. the treaty, okay. actually. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's two different understandings of what was agreed to at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And the Crown, uh, you know, after 1840, had... Um, the numbers eventually but certainly um, the law on the side and it resolved those two understandings of what would happen by using its legal force to you know remove those rights that the treaty had guaranteed to Māori. Yeah so I mean what are we what are we what are we going to do moving forward how how do you sort out this argument between the Māori text and the English text can you or is the crown always going to assert their power? Oh, that's a big question, Francis. You want that one? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because you're going from, you know, obviously the English were the ones coming in uh, and and the Māori were trying to create a good, fair deal for them, which they still had their sovereignty. So surely the Māori text, as them being the the, uh, protectors and the sovereign people of the nation, should be the one that is, um, that's the one they signed, so it should be the one that holds up. So, so can, I, can I just say in a roundabout way, one of the things that I'm really interested in with the new government that's just formed yeah. is that Calvin Davis has been given a portfolio that's new, which is Minister for Crown Māori Relations. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's separate from treaty negotiations. Yeah. And I find that quite interesting in terms of um, kind of forecasting how this government might approach uh, Crown Māori relations. So for quite a long time the issue has been about treaty settlements and the the kind of narrative has been we're nearly there we've nearly settled the, all these grievances we know things were you know some awful things were done in the past mm. we'll fix those and we'll move on and we'll be done with the treaty basically yeah. but i think what this um, indicates is that this government sees that differently and sees that that relationship isn't going to be finished with the end of treaty settlements, mm, that there are ongoing issues for Māori and the Crown to negotiate and discuss and work through. Yeah. Um, I've no idea what... I'm, I'm making all this up because I don't know <laughs> yeah, what... You yeah. know, maybe they don't know what that is. But yeah. I find it interesting that they're at least signalling that there's something other than treaty settlements in that relationship and that those things will need to be thought about. So I think you know my answer to your question is... Those are conversations that we're just going to have to keep having. Yeah. It's not going to go away, um, and the you know government's going to respond as you would expect a government to respond. Māori are going to keep um, talking about the, their own version or view or um, history, and we will kind of nudge closer and closer to some kind of shared understanding. Mm-hmm. With, the, with this document being little uh, little known, and, and to be honest, the majority of Kiwis have no idea what the treaty says yeah, either. Um, uh, yeah. The majority of New Zealanders don't know much outside of, uh, you know, maybe watching James Bouch on television, uh, which is brilliant. Yeah, which is a good start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great start. Uh, or reading, you know, uh, Michael King. Mm. Um, so, I mean, in terms of that, that 
kind of relationship uh, with the Crown and Māori with that new um, ministry and the like. Do, you know, is there a hope that maybe we're about to get this stuff? You know, there has been talk about uh, Tareo in school uh, and, and maybe not learning about um, the the plight of the Irish anymore uh, and learning more about the plight of Māori and, and New Zealand history. Do you hope that maybe you know not too far down the track we're going to learn about this document? I absolutely hope that. I would love when I first see my students in Stage One politics and say to them, "How many of you have read the?" text of the treaty, how many of you can read Te Tiriti and Te Reo Māori I'd love all hands to go up and you know, to, to really reflect the significance of yep. that document for us And that holds weight coming from you too, so that's fantastic That's <laughs> <laughs> some out of interest do, do you have any students who have been able to read both versions in your classes? Yep, yep. and more and more, which is great oh, Awesome yep. um, Yeah, I think, I think a, critical th- a critical thing is education, like the thing is it's impossible to actually discuss constitutional reform if people don't even know what yep. the reform is going to be about. And if people don't even know the the founding documents, then where is the conversation starting? Eh? Yeah. And so, like, Te Reo Māori is a crucial aspect of that so they can actually understand what was written in the first place, um, but also an understanding of history. And that's why, say, for instance, when there was this petition about um, New Zealand land wars, it was really about recognising Māori history mm-hmm. um, as the crux of like something that should be included in our history yeah. or something in our education system. So I think hopefully soon when te reo Māori and Māori history and Māori culture is included as just a normal part of education because we've already got you know European history, all this, yeah. if we can see both as, as a critical part of our identity as New Zealanders, then, um, yeah, I think that's when change will happen. Yeah, um, the Māori Wars, uh, the Land Wars, sorry, uh, New Zealand Land Wars, a v- very significant part of the history and a lot of things that came out of that, um, the King and Tanga movement, uh, the seats in Parliament for Māori mm. uh People don't understand how that began and where it came from or, or a lot of th- uh, grievances that have come out of those as well. We have no knowledge. So I mean, it's hard for uh, a lot of uh, Pākehā uh, to understand or even care about the grievances of Māori without the knowledge yeah, uh, and that's why there is a lot of bigotry around because they just don't know I know and and what I'm encouraged by is that um, when I talk with students who do particularly my treaty politics paper um, people will shift their thinking mm. when they're better informed and I you know, always take great heart from that but I think it's interesting I think we're making a lot of progress already I think, um, you know, your slip of the tongue about Māori wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so, I mean, we, uh, most of the time now, officially, they're acknowledged as the New Zealand land wars. Yeah. They, were, they were sovereignty wars. You know, mm-hmm. I prefer to think of them as the New Zealand sovereignty wars. Mm. But we're not there yet. People aren't going to use that language because that raises the question about sovereignty being unresolved, and that's yeah. a little bit confronting. So, mm, But New Zealand land wars is a better, you know, I mean, the Māori wars, what, what was that about? We were yeah. basically saying that it was Māori who are causing the problem, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible way to name wars when you blame the people who were warred upon. Yeah. So um, so we're shifting some of that thinking, and, and that I think the language around those issues uh, is really important, and it reflects mm. some of our progress, but sure I think though. there's a ways to go. Yeah, yeah, well, obviously I just slipped <laughs> I know, but that's easy to do, because yeah. it's pretty, you well, that's know, what it's it how was things were named. Yeah, yeah. exactly, for, for so yeah. many years. Um, we were in... Um, went past Wairo and you know we used to be called the massacre and now it's called the affray instead so we just keep kind of uh, 
changing the perspective. It shifts everything around when you use different words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to start calling it that sovereignty wars. <laughs> I like that too. But um, you know, I th- as you said, I completely agree about language being extremely important. It's like even like the idea of settlers versus colonizers, you know, because I was listening to Moana Jackson one time. He was giving a corridor and he was saying, you know, s- settling is a very neutral word, mm. but in the sense that if you settle, you're going to unsettle someone else. Mm. Um, so that being a very important idea of how we use language um, mm. to to add weight or to neutralise the subject. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I like that uh, very much. So, um, yeah, so it's the commemoration of both tomorrow, isn't it? Mm. You were saying um, same for, for the New Zealand. Well, tomorrow was the day that it was originally signed. He whakaputango te rangatiratango ni tirene. Um... But it's also the day that's. I mean, we, we've just chosen one day for recognising the the sovereign, the sovereign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to be calling something. it the two. I think you have. I think you have. Well, Look you at know, me, the radical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome, fantastic. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it there. But thank you both for coming in today. It's been a pleasure. Kia ora. Yeah, kia ora indeed. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, and, and we'll see you again, uh, Professor Haywood, in a couple of weeks. Fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I hope you guys have an awesome celebration. Um, not just celebration, but actually a commemoration and thinking about what's happening in the future. I'm just looking at, um, shout out to Ruben Taipari. My focus has been for a better future for Mokopona, never about assets. Yeah. Mahi rangatira tēnei hui. So, mihi to all those people up north thinking about our tamariki mokopona, thinking about our future, um, and trying to get a better future for all of us. Aye, yeah. Kia ora. Kia ora.